Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amidi, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that, that, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. He sent to Nineveh to preach to them that they might be saved. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Here's the critical phrase, away from the presence of the Lord. Away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, may we be challenged and encouraged by your word this morning in ways that we haven't yet been. And for the places of where we've heard your word over and over again and chosen not to obey, may we become faithful to it this morning, obeying it in all that we do. May we believe in our hearts that there are people across this world that need your love and your grace and your mercy and your salvation just as much as we do. And may we be aware that we all have our own Nineveh, a place to which we are called to risk our life, to give all for your sake. Jesus, for those in need of a second or third or fourth or fifth or 27th chance this morning, people like me, may we hear your voice of grace and love inviting us to put all of our trust in you and that your promise still stands. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, we pray this prayer. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. morning we're having. Isn't it awesome to like, be able to come to church and expect God to show up and uh, talk to people in another country and see them face to face and have that like one-to-one connection? I just love that. And that's one of the best parts about our church is that one-to-one face-to-face connection that we have with one another and with our friends around the world. And so it just kind of feels like this is home morning, right? We're just we're coming home together. We're coming to meet Jesus together. It's awesome. Um, so on to my sermon. Heidi and I have been working really hard for the last 17 years. Heidi's like, at what? What have we been working hard at? More appropriately, she's probably thinking, which of the things is he about to list? (laughs) Um, We've been working really hard to squirrel away money so that we can retire someday. A lot of pastors in generations before me, they didn't do that, and they got to retirement age. And what they say about pastors is pastors never retire. They just keep working until they die. And we thought, you know, I don't think that's what God's called us to. As, you know, our family, we're, we're called to, it's going to look different, but to retirement and to be in a place where we can do the things we feel like we're called to do without having to have somebody pay us to do it. So we've been stuffing money in a hole, um, especially squirreling it away like good squirrels do, and working aside. And we met recently with our financial advisor. It was really cool. He looked at us and he goes, I got good news for you guys you're going to be able to retire someday. And then someday was the big word, right? He's like, someday. And then he's like, and where was it that you wanted to retire? We're like, well, we're thinking about maybe a foreign country like Mexico or something like that. He goes, I think that's a good idea. It's a lot cheaper to live there. But you get to retire someday. You get to retire someday. It feels really good to know that someday we're going to be able to relax in the Lord and just enjoy the life that he's given us and to do the things he's called us to do without having to worry about a paycheck if we keep up saving, if we keep doing what we've been doing for the last 17 years. 
one of the things that we have learned in the saving process, and uh, it's one of the wisest things that you can do with your investments, and there are a number of really savvy investment type people here, and you will all agree with me on this. The modern wisdom says to not put all of your eggs in one. Not the, Jeff, am I right? He's, mm-hmm, yeah. Bridger, yeah, mm-hmm. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. There's a number of ways that you can do this. It's like, you know, you don't put all of this. If you were Bill Gates, you wouldn't take all of your billions of dollars and put it like into Starbucks. Because what happens if Starbucks fails, right? Even he, who owns a bunch of Microsoft, has diversified so that his, his, uh, his bets are hedged. If you lose in one, you gain in another, and in the end, hopefully it's all going to equal out and you'll come out ahead. That's the whole idea. But how many of you know that what is smart in business is always not, not always smart in the kingdom? Mm-hmm. So like three of you know that. So for everybody else who doesn't know that, I want to tell you, whatever is smart in business is not always smart in the kingdom of God. What makes good business sense for the, the, the U.S. dollar, which I have one down here, I have a 20. Somebody paid me for the books this morning. And by the way, we still have six of those uh, devotional books left. If you want to pick one up and keep going with us, they're awesome. And that sermon today actually is formed out of it. So jump in with that. It's really awesome. So whatever is good for the U.S. dollar isn't necessarily good for the kingdom of God. God is looking for people who want to invest their lives differently than we invest our money. So I have down here, we're going to call these baskets. So I, was talk, I asked Isaac to find these for me this morning, and he's like, those aren't baskets, they're bowls, and they're metal, and you know, it's like, we'll just pretend, they're baskets, okay? So in, in an investing world, we've got, we've got all of our eggs here, we have eggs in a basket, that's pretty good, and they're all in one basket. Wow, yeah, see that? So in our investing world, we do this, we're going to put two eggs over here, we're going to put two eggs over here, and we're going to put two eggs over here, and we'll leave three eggs in this first basket, right? This is, makes good investment sense. It's wise when it comes to money. But when we talk about our faith and our trust in the Lord, God is looking for people who will be all in. He is looking for people who will take their eggs, their faith eggs, out of every basket that the world has to offer and place them in the Jesus basket. That went well, huh? You guys are like, wow, did he practice that? I laid in bed last night going, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? They want, they, Jesus is looking for people to put all of their eggs in him. And you know what? There's lots of examples throughout the whole of Scripture that show this. For, I'm going to give you a couple of them. First of all, Matthew chapter 25, if you want to open your Bibles there. This is a text that we are all extremely familiar with. It's about a business owner who's going away on a long trip. And he entrusts his business to three of his employees. To one employee, he gave two-thirds of the business. He said, here you go. Here's two-thirds of the business. You get the lion's share of this thing. To another one, he gave one-fourth of the business. Here it is. A quarter of my business is yours to manage. And to a third, he gave one-eighth of his business to manage. Now, if you did the fractions and put it all together, it should equal 100%. But I know that many of you are going, that guy's no good with numbers. He probably blew it. And I might have. We'll just leave it at that. It's about right, okay? And when you look at this, when you, when you look at what the scripture has to say, how many things he gave away, what it comes up to is it totals to 100%. This man entrusted 100% of his business to three of his employees. The owner took a risk on those three men or women. He was all in with them. He took a risk. The first guy, the one with half the business, 
oops, sorry, with two-thirds of the business, he invested, see, I already blew it. He, that guy invested, he took risks on new products and new enterprises, and he, he put the money into to work. He invested it. And when the owner returned, the, this guy comes back and he said, you gave me two-thirds of the business, and it equaled to this amount of money, and guess what? Here's a new portfolio, and I have doubled your investment. Here you go. And the guy's like, and scripturally, what he says is, well done, good and faithful servant. How many of you ever heard that word before? Like, that's what we want to hear, right, from God. At the, end of, at the end of everything, when we stand before God, this is what we want to hear. Well done, good and faithful syrup, servant. Not syrup. I almost said syrup. Well done, good and flavorful syrup. So that first guy, he doubles the investment. The second guy, he gets a quarter of the business. He goes out. He invests in new businesses and new products. He, he invests in green, renewable energy. And, you know, he, he doubles the amount of money he had. And he comes to the, to the owner and he says, hey, I'm glad you had a great trip. Here's the, the quarter of the business you gave me. And, and look, here's the things I invested in. And guess what happened? I doubled your investment. And he's like, this is the best day ever. First guy doubles my business. Second guy doubles my business. Well done, good and faithful syrup. servant. I keep saying syrup. Why can I not say servant? I don't know. Trusted friends that he gave his business to, 100%, all in with these guys. Well done, good and faithful servants. But the third guy, from the moment the investment was placed in his hands, he began to worry. What if I go out and I invest in that green renewable energy and somebody finds a new deposit of oil and this thing just goes south and, and I lose all this money that this, this man has entrusted to me? What if I lose it? He's a hard man. He's, he's worked hard. He's invested his whole life in this. He has put everything he has into this business, growing this business, and if I lose a part of it, I might lose my life. What am I going to do? I've got an idea. And he goes to his closet, and he takes out his new pair of Nikes. He pulls them out of the box. He puts the funds into the box, closes it, goes out to the backyard, digs a hole, puts the box in a plastic bag, wraps it up, sticks it in the hole, puts dirt over the top of it, and goes back into the house. And he goes, I'll be safe. I'll be safe. There's no way I'm losing that money. There's no way. It's not possible. So the owner comes back. The guy's like feeling pretty good. He's like, I haven't lost anything. We've, exactly what he gave me, I have, and here it is. I've kept, I took care of it. So he comes into the manager's office and he pulls out this dirty bag and he dumps the money out on the table. He goes, there it is. There's all your money. Count it. Every penny of it's there. I haven't lost any. And you can imagine the silence in the room as the other two guys are standing there looking at him like, what? shoebox and the owner looks up at him and the guy's got this big smile on his face and the owner is looking at him and that smile just wipes right off of his face as the owner says you didn't even take it to the bank I mean I know Chase Bank is giving like point zero 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 nine seven percent interest I could have got like 32 cents back I could have got 32 cents back on this you could have at least done that what, what were you thinking I knew that you were hard. I knew that you worked your whole life for this. I knew that you had invested everything into this business, and I didn't want to lose any of it. You know what the, the master says to him? You know what the owner says to him? He says, you wicked and slothful servant. Slothful. It's so much better than lazy, right? You know, slothful. You know, oh. You knew that I reap where I have not sown. You knew that I gather and where I scattered no seed, then you ought to have invested the money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine plus some interest. You were afraid to lose what I gave you. You at least could have stuck it in the bank. You slothful employee. 
cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. The owner's response to these three employees is really fascinating to me. To the first two, he says exactly the same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. To the third, he says, you slothful, lazy servant. Great job, my friends. You, it paid off. I'm so pleased. You took risks. You invested what I gave you. You used it. You didn't just stick it in a hole. And it paid off. Don't be nervous. Enjoy the party with me. We're celebrating. But the other guy is cast out. As I've said, it's a very familiar story. The parable of the talents found in Matthew 25. I've preached the principles of this sermon, this, this passage, probably a hundred times. I was going to say a thousand times, but that would make me really old. So more like a hundred times. Something struck me this week that hadn't before. What if any one of these employees had invested and lost? I mean, what, what if, right? What if they took some crazy scheme to double or triple the investment that the master had put in them and then they lost it? What would have happened? How do you think the master would have responded to them? Jesus didn't say. And, you know, when I get to heaven, he and I are going to have a conversation and I'll be like, dude, why didn't you go there? And he'll probably have a really great answer, and I'll go away in shame, and that'll be okay. But, but, oh, no shame, I'll be in heaven. You're right, good call, good catch. That's why I have my wife, she's going to, yeah. Um, I don't think that the owner would have been particularly upset, honestly. I don't. Why? For starters, the owner understands risk-taking. He's got this whole business that he's put his whole life into, and he takes three guys, or gals, and he gives them all of it. Here it is. I'm going away. I'm not going to be here. I'm taking a risk. Here it is. You guys get some, you get some, and you get some. 100% of what he had, he gave away and risked every penny of it. He takes risk investing in those three employees. And it seems to me that the owner, in the end, isn't applauding the increase so much as he is applauding the risk. He is applauding the fact that they took and risked the money, they invested it, and it grew. If it was all about the money, he wouldn't have just dumped the third employee. If it was all about, like, well, I got my money back. I should be ha I'm happy with this. Thank you very much for bringing the money back. If he was not concerned, about, or if he was concerned about money, he probably would have just said, well, thank you. But he isn't. He's more concerned with the fact that they took a risk. It's not about how much each employee is given or how much is returned. It's about how they handled what was given to them. God isn't as tied up in the results as we are. You know that? You think, oh, my life has got to look like this. I've got to get these things done. You know, for me to be a successful pastor, it needs to look like this. To have a successful church, it needs to look like this. We're tied up in these results. We're thinking about these things. And in the midst of it, God's just going, look, I'm looking for people who are faithful. I'm looking for people who are willing to take risks with what I give them to step out and to follow me and let me be worried about the results. You just worry about taking risks. You worry about stepping into what I have for you. This passage is really about using everything that God has given you to do whatever God has given you to do. To take your eggs and put them into one basket and make a go of it with Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. Another question that came to mind as I read this text is, is about the third employee. Why was he so concerned with, about losing? It says that he was concerned about it because of the nature of his owner. And if that owner is so hard and so mean, and so angry-seeming, then why did the other two bother to take a risk? I mean, why did any of them risk anything? 
if the third guy's perception of the owner is correct, I think that their, his perception of that owner was mixed up. I think he saw God as angry and wrathful and just waiting for him to fail. But the other two servants understood something about God. God is loving. God is kind. God is patient. God is caring. And God has given generously, not so that we can hide it, but so that we can use it to risk it all for his kingdom. And in the end, I think that those first two servants, understanding that about God, understanding that about their owner, they realize that this risk that was given to them, this, this blessing that was placed in their hands, wasn't about them at all. It was about the business. They were more concerned about the influence and the growth of the business than they worry, were worried about their own skin, about their own finances, about their own income. They were more worried that the kingdom would grow and flourish and prosper than they were about their own security and their own future. They didn't, they didn't think about it. They just invested. Often I think we're more concerned with our prosperity, our comfort, our security, than we are with the expansion of the kingdom. And that's why God has blessed us. That's why God has blessed you. That's why God has given you all that he has given you. Don't bury it. The first servant, he buried the, the investment. He was more interested in saving his own skin than his master's business. But the first two servants are praised for being faithful, faithful, putting all of their faith into Jesus' basket, every bit of it. If they had eggs, they took them out of every basket they had, and they put them all in the one third one, he is chastised. Not He's not called faithful. He's chastised for being slothful or faithless. He put some eggs in his self-trust basket. He put some eggs in the hedge my bets basket. And in the end, the boss got back what he gave him. He didn't lose anything, but he did lose his life. Another story that illustrates this is the story of, of Haz and Hez. Uh, it's an Old Testament couple but they're not a couple. It's actually father, son, Ahaz and Hezekiah. And I want to show you this one because uh, what is said of Hezekiah in the end? It's another way of saying, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Their story is found in Second Chronicles. But I want to tell you the end of the story before I tell you the beginning. Hezekiah was a king of Israel just before Israel was sent into exile. They were eventually foisted from the land and let out with hooks in their cheeks and all kinds of horrible things happened. But during Hezekiah's reign, the kingdom prospered and they were safe. He is one of very few people in the Bible that get a, a two-verse like legacy statement. This is what became of his life. Let me read this to you. I read this this week and I'm like, this, if this could be me, if this could be me, I, I would be very thrilled. Hezekiah did what, was, did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all of his heart, and he prospered. Everything that he did, he did with all of his heart. He did what was good and faithful before God. And everything that he undertook while he was serving God, he did with his whole heart. Not just part of him, all of himself. He put everything in. And in the end, because of that, he prospered. He was all in with God. He had only one basket, and all of his eggs were in it. Wow. 
How many of you would love to have that set of you? Man. Talk about well done, good and faithful servant. But the only way that we can have such a striking example is to have a, such a, a super striking example of the opposite. His dad, Ahaz. What was said of him was that in the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to God. He was a, the king of Israel and they were being attacked by the Assyrians. And they were completely tranced by these men. This whole army came in and just right over the top of them. You ever experience something like that? You have this time of distress, and rather than becoming more faithful, you become faithless? Faithless? Just a little bit less faithful to God? You start looking around for some place to put your trust and find your security? That's what Ahaz did. He took his eggs out of the God basket, and he started putting them into these other baskets, other gods. A few of them over here, a few of them over there. Most of them over here maybe left one in the God basket. And you know why he did it? It says this, For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him. The Syrians came in, they destroyed them, and he said, Whoa, why did they have so much power? Why did they have so much strength? Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may be help, help me also. If you can't beat them, join them. Exactly. It worked for them, so maybe it'll be work for, will work for me. But here's what the Bible says about this action. But they were the ruin of him and all of Israel. Not just himself, but all of his people that he led. Everybody in his family, everybody that was around him. In every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods. And this is the worst part of it. Provoking the anger of the Lord. Okay. Let's think about this for a minute. How many of you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? How many of you want to be on the end of the other phrase? She provoked the anger of the Lord. Right? Imagine that on a t-shirt walking around campus, right? I provoked the anger of the Lord. Do not want that label placed on me. God wasn't provoked. God was provoked to anger, and that's not good. Why? Well, with obvious reasons. But he was provoked to anger because Ahaz, Ahaz had taken his faith and spread it around. He became faithless toward God. He put his eggs in all these other baskets. So the question that this story brings up for me, as I look at my life, I say, what do I want my legacy to be? What legacy, do I, what kind of t-shirt do I want to be wearing in my last days? What kind, of, what kind of notes or epitaphs do I want people to write about me in my last days? Heidi is reading this book called 24-6. I'm looking forward to reading it myself, but we were walking yesterday, and she told me this story out of it. And it's about, the guy that writes it, he's a medical doctor, his name's Matthew Sleeth, and he goes around, and he actually preaches and teaches at, at churches all across the world on the idea of Sabbath and the benefits of Sabbath, but, and from a Christian perspective. And he's got this daughter named Emma, a surprise, and he was like, wow, this could be us. And she's like 23 or 24 years old, and she travels around with him and speaks. And one of the things that she gets asked is how come you are such an awesome young woman of God? What did your parents do that, that led you to want to become a medical doctor and a believer and a follower of Jesus and somebody who just wants to give their whole life to the Lord? What did your parents do? And she's really uncomfortable giving the answer because her answer is this. My parents put God first as the priority of our home. 
It wasn't their finances. It wasn't their work. It wasn't their sports. It wasn't their clubs or meetings or my clubs or meetings or my school or any of these other things. They put God and God alone first. They put all of their faith eggs in the God basket. And when I look at them, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. And parenting's tough. You know, if you're a single person someday, you hope to have children, I tell you, it's hard. If you just have friends in your life that maybe you hope to influence like a parent influences a child so that you can influence them toward Jesus, it's hard, but there is one secret to being successful at it, and that's putting God first with everything that you have. To say with every action, with every word, with every dollar you spend, God is God first. I do not put my trust in other gods, my success in other gods, my faith in other gods. I put it all in Jesus. One basket, I'm all in. I want to end this series and my sermon this morning with Jonah. Back to where we began. Why pair Jonah with the parable of the talents and Hezekiah and Ahaz? Because all three of them have a common destination in mind. Tarshish. You're like, what? You read those passages. You told those stories. You never said Tarshish once. I mean, that's a weird word altogether. You, you, you barely get it off my tongue. If you were paying attention, you never said it. But when I was studying this message and reading the story of Jonah, and it was kind of came out of that daily devotional deal that I really encourage you to get involved in if you haven't yet. This little tidbit of information came up to me. I, I've been taught that Tarshish was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Okay, Nineveh is this direction. Tarshish is that way. It's in Spain or some other far-flung place at the end of the world. What I found out was we don't actually know where Tarshish is at all. As far as we know, it's nowhere. We know it existed because it not just shows up in the biblical account multiple times other than Jonah. It shows up in Babylonian texts and Syrian texts and all kinds of stuff. Tarshish was a place where Solomon got a lot of his gold and silver and peacocks and all kinds of cool stuff to put the temple together and make it beautiful and magnificent. It was a wealthy place. It was a port city where all the wealth of the world came through it. It was the sort of place you could go and be famous really fast if you were really talented. You could be the best preacher. You could be the best prophet. You could go to this place and build a reputation and become famous really fast. Very attractive. But we don't actually know where Tarshish is. Except for as I was reading Jonah, I realized that there's a map. Cool, lost city of gold, right? You know where it says Tarshish is? Away from God. It's away from God. Tarshish is in the opposite direction of where God is. Sometimes God calls us to a place we'd rather not go, like Nineveh. It's a place with layer upon layer of broken history. It's not glamorous. The people don't want to know God. They don't really want to know you. They're not interested in what you have to say. They're not interested in how you're living your life. They're not even interested in where you're putting your eggs and in which basket. In fact, if you came to them, they'd be like, hey, we've got some baskets for you to put your eggs in. Come join us. It's not Tarshish. There's no great job. There's no big salary. It looks like professional suicide. But it's exactly where Jonah was sent. And it's exactly where you were called. Eugene Peterson says about Tarshish that Tarshish is a place where we can have a religious life. We can go to church. We can look really good. We can, we can have religious friends. We can read the Bible even and have Bible studies. We can pray. We can even have blessings from God in this place. 
we can go to this religious place and not ever have to deal with God. Much like Ahaz and his foreign idols are away from God, being more concerned with saving our own skin is away from God. Where is our Tarshish? Where's your Tarshish? Where are you going? Where are you placing your eggs that are away from God? Where are you living the modern wisdom of not putting all your eggs in one basket? I want to encourage you. I look around this room and I see so many people that have got a basket full of Jesus eggs. I do. But I know that somewhere in your closet, behind your back, underneath your seat, somewhere in your life, because you're a human being just like me, you've got another basket or two or three hidden with an egg hiding in there. It's a place where you put a little bit of trust, a little bit of faith, a little bit of worry about how you live and what's important in your life. And you're hiding these eggs and they're away from God. You're showing everybody else your basket. You're showing everybody else your Jesus basket. Life isn't a straight line. We don't just suddenly one day achieve perfection. It's it's a, it's a constant growth, a constant movement. And the reality is, if we're honest, our baskets are out there and we are constantly moving eggs around. And Jesus is going, hey, put more eggs over here, put more eggs over here. And we're like, okay, I'll put that egg over there, but you're taking one out and putting it over there. And we're moving them around and we're hoping to get to the end of life with all of our eggs in that one basket. But it's a journey and it takes time. So many of us feel like, God, where have you gone? I, I haven't heard you speak in a while. I'm putting my eggs in this basket. I haven't, you know, I want you to know this, that God hasn't changed. He hasn't moved away. It's us. We've taken eggs out of the faith basket and we've moved them someplace else. If you feel far from God, it's because you've put your eggs someplace else. And if you would just turn around, there Jesus would be. You know, he's actually following you around with his hands out like this. He's like, just, just, just turn around and you can put that egg right back in my hand and we're going to have a conversation. I'm right here. And you're like, I can't hear you. What does that look like for us? Men, I remember in this book called uh, Daring Greatly. I'm going to share more about it in another sermon series down the line. But she talks about how men and women experience shame in our lives differently and what we do to protect it. And this is another way of coming at this. It's about self-protection, about how we protect our faith, our hearts, our life, our self-image. And that's why we move these eggs around. She said this, the author, she says that men were trained from birth to prove one thing. I am not weak. Any men want to admit to feeling that in their life? Like, I need to prove, I got at least one hand in the back who'll be honest with me, that I'm not weak. We'll get, I'll get angry, I'll work hard, I'll do all sorts, or I'll just disengage so that nobody sees that I'm weak. This is how we do it. We don't want anybody to know that we're weak. You know, demographically, the church is more women than men, and I think it's exactly because of this. To say I need to need God is to say that I'm weak, that I can't do it on my own. And so we work. We put our eggs in, in, in the basket over here that says other gods. We're going to talk about it being performance. So we'll put some eggs in the performance basket, or maybe we'll put some over here in perfection, or maybe in strength. So we put all our eggs over here in strength, and we'll leave one there because I'll call myself a Christian but never actually engage. Women on the other side, the message that they're taught from birth is that you must be perfect. you got to look perfect. you got to have the right body type, the right clothing, the right jobs, keep your house clean, keep it all perfect. 
You got to, and you know what? I think this is why women come to church because we have the Proverbs 31 woman. I've got an easy list that I can just measure up to this and we'll be good, right? It's clear how to be perfect at church. So women come and they work and they put all their eggs in the performance basket, in the perfection basket. I don't know every story here. I know my story. And I know my story is this story. Where I am moving my eggs from basket to basket, diversifying, trying to prove that I'm not weak. Your story may be trying to prove that you're perfect, but that you can be perfect. We're trying to achieve perfection. I know what the disengaged basket looks like for me. I know I've got a lot of eggs in the Jesus basket, but there are still eggs that seem to be magnetically held in other places. There are plenty of options for all of us to invest our lives in, working harder, being more spiritual, finding that religious place where we don't have to deal with God. But God is calling us to be faithful, to live wholeheartedly, toward him and toward what he's called us to. And the only way we can do this is by intentionally purposing our lives to walk to Nineveh and not to Tarshish. And we do that through spiritual disciplines. Let me give you a couple of quick examples before we close this out. For you, if you have the performance basket going on and you're saying, I'm, I'm working hard, People aren't going to prove that I'm, I'm weak or that I'm not perfect. I'm working hard. That performance basket is going constantly. You know what? A spiritual discipline counters that. You take your eggs out of the performance basket by taking a day off with Jesus. It's called the Sabbath. You say, I don't have to work today because Jesus worked for me. And I am putting my eggs in the Jesus basket, and I'm going to do it every week. One day out of seven, Sabbath. Maybe you're in that perfection basket. You're looking to prove to everybody that you're never weak, you're never messed up. You know what you can do? Find a spiritual friend, somebody to be real with. That's a discipline. Say, this is how I blew it this week. This is what, this is what my struggles look like. This is, this is me. This is the real me, the authentic me, underneath the skin. I'm putting my eggs in the Jesus basket. Will you put your eggs in the Jesus basket with me? What about the I can do it myself? The strength basket. We've been talking about missions all month. You know what the greatest spiritual discipline is that proves that you can't do it all yourself? It's going where God has called you to go. It's going on mission. Going somewhere and sharing the love of Jesus heart of Christ, living wholeheartedly for him. Putting your eggs in the Jesus basket, like Will and Brianna have put their eggs in the Jesus basket and gone to Benin. Not all of us are called to be missionaries, but we're all called around the world, but we're all called to be missionaries right here. I want to say this to you. You are never further from God than when you were close to him, but say no. And as we've gone through this month, I've just felt this growing sense in my heart that God is calling some of us actually to go to the ends of the earth somewhere. And we're saying, well, maybe, maybe not. I would be remiss not to give you the opportunity to say, I think God maybe is calling me, but I don't know when and I don't know where. We want a relationship with God that impacts the world, but we want to dictate the terms and the location of that relationship. I will serve the Lord in this one place and in this one way. God is going, but wait a minute, that's Tarshish. <laughs> that's, that's away from me. 
where I want you is over here. That doesn't look good. That's not safe. Let me put the money in a box, Jesus. Just let me put the money in a box. Everything else is outside of my comfort zone. This morning, I'm going to close this in prayer. And what I'm going to do is, if you are in, I'm going to do a number of things, and we'll just have you stand up this morning. A simple response to God. Um, not yet. Don't stand up yet. I'm going to have you stand up as I ask. Sandy's like, I'm on it. I'm standing up now. You don't even have to tell me what I'm standing up for. I'm there. She's like, because that puts me first in line. We're about 10 minutes over because we yeah, went long. So we want to eat and I want to be done. Um, these egg things, this is unconscious for most of us. And God is saying, you're like an onion. Let's dig. Let's come, come down a couple of layers. Where are you putting your faith in some other place other than the Jesus basket? If you can consciously say this morning, like, God has put something on my heart, one place, one egg even. Now, I'm not asking you to admit what it is or where it's at. This whole egg thing is spoken to you. Would you just stand up this morning? Jesus, this is us declaring to you that we are human beings and that we are prone to trust so many things. We are prone, we are just trained from birth to diversify our trust and our faith in you. And God, whatever each of us has, this basket that's hidden, the basket that's out in front of us, perfection, performance, strength, whatever it happens to be, God, we want to take that egg and place it in your hands this morning and God, I'm saying this knowing that I'm going to ask for it back tomorrow, probably. I'm going to ask for it back. God, I pray that you would give me and each one of us faith to trust what you say, that your love is good, that your love is great, that your promise still stands, and if we trust you and stand upon that word, that you will lead us and guide us in the places that we need to go. Jesus, I pray a blessing over these people and over myself as we repent and turn back from our ways. Heal us, Lord. Help us to trust you more and more. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you just be seated for one second because I want to do one more thing. And this may be the hardest thing of all, and nobody may stand up, and I may look foolish for even asking. But I need to ask, is there anybody here who in the past four weeks or past year or two years has felt that someday, not next week, not next month, not even next year maybe, that you may be called to go to some other place in this world as a missionary. Is there anybody here that would stand and say that? Okay, I'm actually standing. Yeah, now you're standing if that's you. Is there anybody here that would, anybody else? I, I'm so excited that other people did stand up. <laughs> awesome. Can we just like extend our hands toward these folks and uh, pray for them? Jesus, we thank you that you are still calling us to go to the ends of the earth we, we know that your love is so great for this world that it doesn't just stay here in Pullman or here in the United States. I pray that your heart would beat in these men and women, that your spirit would speak to them and guide them and direct them, that their eyes would be opened, that they would hear clearly, this is the way in which it should walk, go in it, that they would follow you. And when the time is clear and when the time is right, that they would have the faith to step out and trust you. Jesus, give us as a church the strength and the grace to train up, to raise up, to support, to encourage people who
who are risking it all for the sake of the kingdom of God. We thank you that you have made this church a place of people who are patently following you, that are genuinely serving you, seeking you, giving you our finances, giving you our time. God, it doesn't matter how big or how small we may seem. The impact of this place is great for the kingdom of God because we are investing what you've given us. And so, God, I place these people in your hands as a resource for your kingdom to be used for whatever you call them to. And Jesus, we pray a blessing over this food. Would you guide it to our stomachs in the proper ways? May it bless us and nourish us, and may we think of the nations that you love as we eat. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Go and eat in the name of the Lord. I saw people, kids are running. Be polite.